The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. Last time on The Word in Black and Red. Abraham is saying, my very being is just the same gunk that you're about to turn the city into. Abraham's made a lot of mistakes. So reminding God, listen, I'm humble. I'm not perfect. That I think one of the themes that runs through Genesis is that God has to learn how to deal with these humans that he's created. Like there are other creative solutions other than talking God down in a number. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. That's the sin of Sodom. The ancients who are writing the Midrash seem to suggest that all the people who did any mercy were already killed by Sodom and Gomorrah. Pitch to me, where is the hope for Kiwi Herring or for my community if we think that God isn't quite as personal? So the hope here is that we care and that there are still good people left and there is hope and there are people worth saving. I think a reading that is really helpful is to say that Sodom and Gomorrah had already killed off all the good people. Sodom and Gomorrah had killed off all the innocent. And that's why God seems to be okay, even though uh, Gabriel's on this mission to go and destroy Sodom, that it's okay for the angels to sit there and wait for with Abraham while Abraham is throwing this lavish party, this, this whole hospitality, because they know that the city that they're going to has no one to be saved. Right. And in this version, God doesn't know that. So God is not omnipotent. God needs somebody to go down and check in on Sodom and see what's going on because God's heard prayers and heard, oh, it's really bad in Sodom. I'm going to go check things out. And when God goes, God is horrified because they've destroyed so much life. It's like if somebody um, saw a video on TikTok about what's going on in Florida and we're like, ooh, that sounds really bad. I'm going to go check it out. And then they got down on the ground and they read about the book bannings and right met trans families who were trying to escape and were like, oh my gosh, it's so much worse than I thought. So let me ask a question here that will come from a contemporary leftist perspective. We all, I presume, are on the side of allowing people to freely express who they are in terms of gender and their own personhood. And suppose we find incontrovertible evidence that the government and the people of Iran or some other country have completely exterminated all of the the good people in terms of what we think good people are. Would, Would our government be justified in wiping Iran off the face of the map? because all the good people are gone. Oh, but see, right, again, we get to the Christian perspective. There are no bad people. Everyone is redeemable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's a different scenario. They're only bad actions. How do you exercise the demon without destroying the person? And sometimes exorcisms do kill the person, right? Like that's the, the myth anyway. We don't talk a lot about in the United Church of Christ about exorcisms, but the idea being that like could... You have gone in and exercised a demon of greed and corruption. Could Sodom be redeemed? And in a way it is, right? In, in the Hebrew scriptures, Sodom is restored with a fresh start. But you have to burn the whole thing to the ground first. 
I don't know how Jesus would have approached that or the disciples. Like, was Rome redeemable or should Rome have been burnt to the ground? A lot of people thought it should have been burned to the ground. I absolutely hear where you're coming from, Arnold. I want to change that analogy a little bit and say instead of a culture that is wildly misunderstood by the United States and constantly demonized by the United States, let's instead turn to, because we know that there are millions of good people in Iran, right? Let's turn that instead to Nazi Germany and let's ask that same question, right? I'm entirely comfortable in saying that one of the few wars that was ever worth fighting was to defeat the Nazis. I am perfectly comfortable saying that that is the one time that America at least got war right. And not because no Nazi could ever be redeemed, but because the corruption of having to align yourself with Nazi ideology, I don't really see how in a human life you can undo that damage. I, I, I think it's possible. I believe in miracles, but... So should we burn the United States to the ground? That's another... That's the well, second I question. about Florida <laughs> as an example instead of Iran. Not just Florida. Let's... let's. I mean, the United <laughs> States. Can you... Is there ethical consumption? We've had this conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, we're using Zoom. We're using batteries that were... Cobalt was mined in these terrible places, right? Like, we are not... We cannot be pure and separate from the sins of our nation. Maybe that's a good place for me to come back to something that I wanted to say in defense of Lot. I think, you know, of course, th this passage actually never mentions Lot, but he, mm -hmm. he comes up, you know, in the next section. But the whole question of whether Lot was righteous or not, I think one thing in Lot's favor in the next narrative is that when the when the two messengers come to Sodom, Lot is sitting there in the city gate, and I don't remember if it explicitly says it in the narrative, but the interpretation I take from it is that Lot knew how strangers are treated mm. in Sodom, and so he was going to be there to be the first one to encounter them so that he could offer them hospitality. Mm. Then when they're in the house, and the, the people of Sodom find out, you know, that these strangers are in his house. They come wanting to rape them. And so, Lot is faced with a Sophie's choice. You know, do I let him rape these guests in my house, or do I... There are more of them than there are of us. There's nothing I can do to stop them from doing what they want to do. Is there something else I can offer them as an alternative to assaulting my guests? And so he has, you know, the daughters, which is unthinkable to us. But in that time and culture, your guests were impo more important than your own family. You know, if you were really yeah. going to be fulfilling the obligation of hospitality to strangers. Wasn't the implication that they were also angels or messengers of God? Well, yes, yeah. yes. But Lot didn't know that. Yeah. And I, and I do, we do have to remember Abraham and Lot are related. So Lot is Abraham's nephew. And so God probably wants to talk, because I'm like, why is Abraham involved in Sodom and Gomorrah at all? But maybe it's because his nephew lives there. Right. Well, and because a couple of stories ago, we remember that, that when Sodom and Gomorrah had gone to war against the kings that were oppressing their, their area, that it was in part because Abraham interceded that Sodom was able to be free. And so, like, 
Abraham is intimately tied up into this whole discussion of Sodom, yeah. where Sodom has gone from being the oppressed people to suddenly being the oppressors, suddenly being the force of evil that stands in this area. Last, I absolutely think that you're absolutely onto it when you say like that if there were innocent people here, it is absolutely outrageous. And I think that if we read this story as something that historically happened, then we'd have to say that there are innocent people here. But I think that we should also remember that this is a work of fiction. There was no such place as Sodom or Gomorrah, right? Maybe there was some city known as Sodom and Gomorrah in the ancient Near East, but realistically, Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because God came and, and shot fireballs at them, right? This is a fictional place used to tell a moral story, right? It's a fictional place in which there can be nothing but bad people, right? It's a fictional place in which there can be nothing but people who are absolutely oppressive. It's a place where there can be nothing but the Israelite leaders who do this shit to the people who are reading this story, right? There can be a fictional city that is populated by nothing but Ron DeSantis's and Donald Trump's, right? That is what Sodom and Gomorrah is, right? It's a place of such inhospitality and such horror that it can fit nothing but Nazis and fascists and all those sort of things. So is the answer to burn it down? Right? Like, is the answer, and I know there are a lot of leftists who would say yes. Yes. <laughs> that is a responsible thing to do, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the responsible thing mm -hmm. is to assassinate Hitler. Yeah. I think that's a really difficult question. And, and I'm an anarcho-pacifist, right? Like, most of the time, I think that violence does not actually work tactically. I'm not going to tell you that you could never, that people can't disagree with me on that. I think that most of the time it doesn't work tactically. I think even if we killed Hitler, it wouldn't have worked. But it sure would have been a, a better step in the right direction. <laughs> you know? I left seminary really wanting and living into the idea like when I graduated from seminary, that there was no individual evil, but that it was like a hundred percent, you know, the barrels that are making all of us rotten. And so if you could just fix the barrels, right, the, the broken systems, we would therefore like make the kingdom of God, you know, make manifest the kingdom of God, right? I believe that so hard. And all these years in ministry now, like, have made me have to re-pick up some idea of individual sin, right? Like, so I'm with you. Like, could there be a whole place of all of these things in this moral story? Like, perhaps, right? Because there are, like, I've watched in ministry, every once in a while, there are just some people no matter what better systems are offered to them, choose evil Violence. over and over and over again to their destruction and the destruction of everyone right. around us. Not often, but like, I wonder in this, I guess, is the moral, so like your argument is that the moral story here, like, of course, it's a work of fiction, but like the moral story here, is it a sin-sick system or is it a whole container full of sin sick individuals you know and i guess does that matter for this because i think that it would because if it's a system right then when god destroys it god is changing something about the way that we recreate 
like that the, that when God remakes this world effectively, God then makes the system different so that this level of systemic evil isn't possible again. But if it's individuals, Noah probably also is individuals, right? And if Noah is also individuals, then God destroyed Noah, Noah's or everyone except Noah, Noah's crew in the whole world, right? God destroys everyone except Lot and Lot's crew, kind of, sort of, and the rest of the world, effectively. Job, for Job, like, the entire world is destroyed, right? Again, the whole world isn't destroyed, but from Job's perspective, it would be. Like, how many other times, like, maybe if we're looking through, like, how many other times in the individual worlds, like, so basically, if it's individual, God isn't learning anything here. Like, God can just keep destroying individuals and the whole world. And if that's the case... Why didn't God do it in Nazi? If if it is this really, you know, if that's the way God behaves, why didn't God do that in Nazi Germany? God learned that there is no such thing as a wicked person. There are only wicked behaviors. God recognized the idea of demon possession, you know, after Jesus was born. No, I'm just kidding. That's not (laughs) how it worked. But my conception, because I'm trying to deal with, you know, every now and then I have to deal with people who are incredibly difficult in my life. Um, you know, dealing with someone right now um, who has some mental health issues and they, they are destructive. They leave a path of destruction everywhere they go and they hurt people, And but they're smart and they demo- it is like they are possessed by a demon who is charismatic and clever and draws people in and then hurts them. Mm. They even said to me, when I do things like this, I don't feel like myself, right? Like I don't believe that this is a wicked human being. I believe they are suffering as a result of whatever illness is infecting them right now. Um, and certainly mental illness is, is a part of that. And yeah, there's systemic evil too. But maybe it's, it's just a different way of framing it. An exorcism versus total destruction. I think both can be effective. God does solve the problem of all the wicked people in Sodom, right? There was, during a protest season a couple of years ago, like, we kept sending people to protest at this mall that was central to where the, like, the acts that had occurred during this racial justice uprising, and people kept getting beat, so, and it was a whole problem, so we ended up sending, um, kind of as a final coda on the, on the mall situation, we went in as clergy and exercised the mall for, like, and reclaimed it for justice. Like saying in Rome, protested through and figured we'd get arrested. We did not because um, they weren't going to arrest singing robed clergy in, <laughs> in, you know, with, with a ton of media with us. But like, you know, we exercised them all. And I mean, and we didn't have any more problems, but also we stopped sending people to the mall. Right. So like it was both and. But like, yeah, you I, didn't burn them all to the ground. That could have been no, possible too, but the, the problem is, like, you made a point earlier that like Sodom and Gomorrah, these little cities, that was everybody's entire world. Right. Right. Even if we took out Hitler, even if Bonhoeffer had been successful and, and they had assassinated Hitler, there was an entire world of people who were connected to this network of sin. And, and you can't eliminate all of that, right? If we take out one evil, what we would consider an evil actor... The demon just jumps ship somewhere else, right? <laughs> like, like we're all connected. Mm. And so it's not that simple anymore. You can't just burn down. We're picking on Florida, but you know, <laughs> uh, we can, you can't just burn down Mar-a-Lago and be done with it. I think Laz's question is a really, really good one. Why isn't God learning this lesson? Yeah. I, I think here in this story, the question isn't 
we remember that this this book is not written um, to tell us about God's journey, but to tell us about our journey, right? <laughs> um, mm. And uh, and Abraham's, yeah, and Abraham's journey, right? And, and Abraham is an, as an extension of us, like that. That God is here saying Abraham needs to have some ability to morally reason, and so I'm bringing him in on this discussion. And notice yeah. that Abraham gives up at ten. God doesn't say, you can't ask me anymore, You right? can't say one. You can't say one. That, you can't that's ask not... for four, because God wouldn't have destroyed it, maybe, if it was four. Maybe. But Abraham doesn't ask but for But Sodom would have destroyed them. Yeah. Yes. Sodom wanted to destroy <laughs> Lot's daughters, yes. right? So we know. But I think that the thing that we're supposed to take out of the story, what is the moral of the story, is that... Ten people is enough in a city. <laughs> Ten people is enough in a city. That just that tiny cadre, just that that little socialist meeting that you have, just that little anarchist group, just that little food not bombs group, just that little communist study group, mm. just that little you know band of, of progressives and that, that you manage to cobble together and, and make agree enough on things to make sure that homeless people get some food and somebody's suffering is a tiny bit alleviated. It just takes ten for God's mercy to be here, right? That God wants to be merciful to Sodom and Gomorrah, and God can't find anything redeemable, can't find 10 redeemable people about the city despite desperately wanting to. And only then mm. does that place get destroyed. It's almost, almost, it's a, a euthanizing uh, is a way of putting it. Yeah, but yeah. They're already, they're already all suffering. Yes. How how terribly do you have to be suffering in a culture that values hospitality to decide that there are strangers in your city and you're going to go assault them? Like that is the opposite of what every moral teaching of your culture teaches. So it's it's like, yeah, they're rabbit again. Like I don't know why I'm talking about demons. Good luck, UCC. Um, <laughs> but they, but but it's like they've lost themselves and and they. But if they're returned to God, if we believe the soul is returned to God, and then they can sort of be healed in, in, in that sense, that maybe death is actually the healing moment for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if the soul doesn't return to God, if, you know, as, as most of the Old Testament uh, seems to believe that death is the end of it all, that there is no existence after death, um, you know, I think Ecclesiastes says the dead know nothing. What's the harm? You live, you die, no more. Um, and those people so, don't have to suffer anymore. But right. I just can't accept it. Like, I'm with you. I see your point. <laughs> but I, as a person from a community being targeted right now, yeah. like, I'm not the first, I'm not the last, right? But we are a major community being targeted right now. I'm just telling you, we ain't rolling over and dying, you know? And you so, shouldn't. like, I hear you. I hear that this works. I just don't think that that, like, understand that's what the text is saying. I'm just you're saying... You're not the ones God no, would target for death. But we are being targeted by death, and many people would say that's God, right? They're wrong. But, like, you know, just I think the, the caution here is just be careful to whom you are preaching this to, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I just I, want I, to the, think... When I, when I live streamed the Pride Parade this Sunday, this Saturday, there were 39,000 people who came to the live stream over a couple hours, all right? Wow. So much of it was violent. People saying, I want to, where are you so I can run you over with my car? This is why we have AK-47s. Just like horrible stuff. And I was like, oh, 
this is what Sodom and Gomorrah was like. <laughs> like they were, they saw people on the margins enjoying themselves, offering hospitality. I mean, that's a huge part of what we do at Pride is say like, we love you, hugs, like let's give you food. And you know, that's just part of the the feeling of the the celebration. And they're saying, we will kill you for that. That being said, I never once thought, well, if they were all in one place, we should just set it on fire. Right. Uh, but there are other people who suggested that would be a good plan. And I understand why you would want to do that, why one would want to do that. And maybe that's part of what, like, if we imagine the people of Israel as an oppressed people who have been hurt over and over and over again by people who don't offer hospitality, but instead offer violence, then maybe this is actually a story of redemption and justice that this is what the city deserved. And they're thinking about Babylon or they're thinking about whoever had like really hurt them and said, ah, God did what was right here. God took care of business. And I think that when we have enemies that are that huge, right? Like I, I think it's entirely a reasonable <laughs> thing, to, thing to come to. Now, again, I want to emphasize that this is a fictionalized story, right? Like, I don't even think that the people who are reading this story and wishing this upon Babylon are really saying there is absolutely no one worthy of redemption in Babylon, right? But the people who kidnapped my kids, if they could burn a, in a fiery death from heaven, that might feel really good. Yeah. And that's not to say that that's a good moral feeling on, on the part of the person who's been oppressed, right? But I'm also not saying yeah. that it's an unreasonable human emotion <laughs> um, that, that, gets, that gets broadcast into this story, right? The, when I was saying that death isn't necessarily a bad thing in the end, I, I was starting to say, if I were going to preach that, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not likely to, but if I were going to preach that, I would also preach that from all that we can see now, the biblical stories notwithstanding, God doesn't do that stuff for us. You know, God does not come down and address the evil in the world. That's our job. And here is an instance where the Marxist in me trumps the Quaker in me, <laughs> that there are times when the world being what it is, we have to address evil by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. And I've never killed anybody in my life. Hope that I never will have to you know, be in a situation where I feel, you know, that I, I have to do that. But, you know, I don't really have any condemnation for people who have taken matters into their hands to address a situation where they think that, you know, true evil has to be stopped with force. Uh, so I don't criticize Bonhoeffer for attempting to take out Hitler, even though, as I'm sure we all agree, that would not have ended the problem, but it would have ended one piece of the problem. The God who intervenes, I think, is a myth. It's a fairy tale. And that I kind of go with uh, what President Kennedy said in his inaugural. He said, you know, in this world, God's hands are our hands. Hmm. We're the ones that have to do God's work. And that's not only the mercy, but it's also the wrath when it's called for. And I think that that connects to the other thing that's happening in this story that's really important, is that this is the first of a long tradition within Judaism and Christianity, primarily in Judaism, in a tradition that gets missed in Christianity, I should say, of people interceding with God, 
that God comes down angry and apparently just full of this of this righteous judgment, this righteous anger to come and destroy. And Abraham stops God and says, whoa, this isn't you, right? This is not the God that I knew. This isn't the God I just made a deal with who, you know, despite me being a dick, gave me a kid at 100 years old, right? That That's not the God that I knew. And this happens with Moses where God comes down and says, look, these assholes are ruining everything. Look, you have a bunch of kids. I'm gonna, I'm just going to make a new nation out of you. And Moses says, no, God, this isn't the God that led me out of Egypt, that led all of these people out of their suffering and oppression and into this new land. This isn't you. It's like God needs a Snickers. You're not you when you're angry, right? You're not you when you're <laughs> when when people are not taking care of the poor, right? And ultimately, one of the great interpretations of the Christian faith is that Jesus is simply stepping in as Abraham and Moses and interceding on behalf of people. Even when he is at the cross, he says, "God, all of these people are killing God." Right? If there is anything that deserves divine intervention to stop or the complete elimination of all humanity, it is humanity literally murdering love itself. And yet God says on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. That intercession there is the reason that we are all saved. That, that is, I think, the point of salvation is that we are all redeemed because of this intercession that happens. And today, we are the folks who are supposed to be doing that intercession. We are the folks who, when we see violence happening, are supposed to step in. We are the folks, when we are given a jar of water, are supposed to give it to the poor person who's not supposed to have it, even if it means we get burned alive. We are the folks who are supposed to practice hospitality in secret, even if it gets us murdered by the people in our city. We are the folks who are supposed to be standing up with black lives and marching through cities, even if it gets us arrested and beat up and shot with canisters and all of those things. We are the folks who should be getting tickets in small cities in the middle of nowhere because we're feeding the homeless folks in the park. We are the folks who should be standing at the border helping migrants get over to a better life. We are the folks who should be committing every crime on the book that is set up to hurt God's beloved human beings that are designed to keep people from what God wants for them. Love, joy, happiness. That's our point. That's the point of Christianity, is to see this empire that exists, this Roman empire, this abomination to God and to love and to humanity, and and say, tear that shit down because it doesn't deserve to exist. It doesn't deserve to exist if it comes at the cost of my sibling in God. Yeah, this is for educational purposes only. For educational purposes only, you should commit every crime on the book. (laughs) You, You mentioned Jesus at the cross, right? Like, we... There was this one guy at the Pride Parade. There's only one at the whole parade that was saying that people are going to hell or whatever. And I knew he wasn't a Christian because I went up and he he actually started he started just calling me names and swearing at me. He called me a dirty lesbian, and I was like, okay, so you're not actually here to preach the Bible. <laughs> and the folks with me are like, ooh, that's an upgrade for you. Anyway, um, what we did is we knelt and we prayed and we said, forgive him for he knows not what he does. Mm liberate him from the demon of hate. Like, like we really, we really said, you know, help him understand what love is surround him with love so that he can know how to love his neighbor. Um, Did he hear you say that? Uh, well, I was praying it through a bullhorn. So I said, 
But I find sometimes that when we do have compassion on people and like I could have gone and punched him in the face, you know, as he deserved. But that's what he wanted. And I knew that. Like I said, he's not actually a Christian. He's trying to raise money by getting assault charges. And then he'll go to court and, and sue people and get lots of money. I mean, that's It's a racket. But what a terrible way to make a living. You know, he's playing on other people's hate. Yeah. I'm sure there was someone like that set up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Right? Just being like, oh, you hate hospitality? Like, You know who that person was called? The king. Yeah. And you know who that person is called in America? The president. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jeff Bezos. I mean, Jeff Bezos too, right? But <laughs> like, at least, at least presidents are elected. I think there's something that enables evil because there's no accountability. The corporations spread it out, right? Like we talk about climate change and we all try to do our part, but even if human beings all got their emissions to zero, wouldn't it change climate change by like 2% or mm-hmm. something? Like our contribution is so, so, so small. So there's something about, right, corporate responsibility. There may be one or two good people. Well, there are probably, there are a ton of good people who work for Amazon. Yeah. Because you have to do what you have to do under capitalism, you know, to exactly. try to survive, right? Like, right. Like if I believe that my responsibility is to survive, to try to help bring about justice, like it means that I might have to, you know, I can't just wither and die because they're coming after us, right? Like, and, and so sometimes you have to work the system, even though it really fucking sucks. I'm not on team burn it down, but I am on team like, it is the gospel imperative to go and create the kingdom of God that centers the marginalized, right? It's true. Like, and that means like listening and centering the cries of the oppressed, right? Who are all around us and, you know, shutting down the nonsense with a bullhorn. Good job, Pastor Sarah. You know, but shutting down the nonsense that tries to tell anyone that they are less than beloved. When anyone tries to put a line between us and them, like God is always with them, you know, like God, like is always, always, always with the beloved oppressed. And so I think like God in this story too has, you know, hopefully learned something, but I, but I, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm a little more convinced now that God is like, like God destroyed, you know, those who are harming and let free the oppressed, but uh nonetheless we say, I, we we say put them down like a like a rabid animal yeah it's a compassionate compassionate action right if you are full of that much hatred and there is no way out isn't the compassionate thing to end somebody's life sometimes it's the best thing there's we an argument to for that right like i'm not saying that that is necessarily the right I thing can't. to do i'm just saying I can't, but but perhaps Right, like perhaps people can come to a conclusion. I just can't because yeah. I have to no, believe I understand. in a possibility of redemption, and I can't believe in the violence of that. You know, even from God. Yeah, no, I do too. The last thing I want to talk about is the foil of Jonah, where Sodom is the city that Abraham is overlooking with God, and Abraham is sitting here desperately arguing with God, wait, 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 no, God, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And God continuously says, yes, I will have more mercy. Yes, I will have more mercy. Yes, I will have more mercy. And Jonah, the opposite, where Jonah goes out and is like, God, you told me that you were going to destroy the city. 
what's up? Why aren't you destroying the city? And God says, because I desire mercy more than justice, right? I have certainly gotten into my angry emotions as we have, <laughs> as we've gone on this discussion, not because I'm angry at any of the co-hosts, but because of the depth of injustice that we face, right? That the, the world faces here that is absolutely ridiculous and unfair. But I have to remember that for God, justice and mercy are not separate things, that justice and mercy are the same thing, and that oftentimes mercy can look like holding someone to account for something they should do because they've never been held to account before. And so if they don't, they're never going to learn from that. They're never going to receive that call out that they need to. They're never going to grow as a person. I had a counselor tell me that you can tell people to stop misbehaving in church all you want, but unless there are consequences, they'll keep misbehaving. Mm. There has to be a point at which the community says, no, this is not okay. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of what we do as activists is when people are spewing hate, we say, no, this is not okay. We will not tolerate this. Well, Jesus tells his disciples that in Matthew, where he says, you know, if, if a brother sins yeah. against you, go to him privately. And if he repents, you have your brother. If, you know, that doesn't work, take a couple of people with you. If that doesn't work, take him before the whole church. If that doesn't work, then boot him out. Have nothing more to do you know, with him. We should, uh, we should remember that for the comment trolls and say, <laughs> you should have come to me privately. You're not obeying Matthew 18. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I am certainly someone who has a very high sense of justice, right? And that high sense of justice often makes me feel like, well, this person should get what's coming to them, right? But ultimately... That emotion does not actually help me in building a better world, right? <laughs> me being angry at Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever other scumbag is stealing money from everyone else doesn't actually help me in resisting their evil, right? Now, for some people it does. Some, for some people it's a motivating factor. But most of the time, my anger just shuts me down. But when I instead say, God desires mercy even on these terrible people, God desires these people to no longer be rich so that they can feel loved. When you're a billionaire, how in the world can you ever trust that anyone actually loves you? You can't because no one does, right? <laughs> right. You know, that's a really good point, Micah. Yeah. How can you ever know that someone truly loves you if you're a billionaire? Yeah. Unless you're wow. just showering them with all these things. So, so how can you be a fully human being if you have so much immeasurable wealth that no one will ever have a real relationship with you? right? We have to have mercy. Taking away the billions from, from Jeff Bezos would be an act of mercy because suddenly he's able to be loved by people. Suddenly he's able to experience real human life rather than this disconnected uh, Nazgul life, which is just <laughs> stealing the life from other people and stealing the lifeline from other people where he's not capable of having human relationships because of the evil that he commits every day. My undergraduate thesis is about universalism. It's about the idea that all people will be saved. And one of the counter arguments of that are that there are some people who are just so evil that they could never make the choice for good, right? That they're so far gone that even if they had infinite choices to make the right choice in, in, in hell and eventually choose heaven instead, that they would never make it. 
And my argument there is that essentially they have become Nazgul, right? They have become such a hulk of a human being that they no longer really have the ability to make a free choice. If your only option is to choose evil every single time, you're no longer a free human being. At which point, God can destroy all that evil around you and instead give you mercy, enough mercy, for you to choose the right. Now, there are some people who are going to suffer for a long time because to them, what real authentic love looks like is suffering, right? And even if they're really being loved, they won't have access to their yacht. They won't have access to their ability to screw over other people, right? And so love feels like abuse to them until they finally understand what love is. And that is mercy, even though it feels like pain to them. That is so yeah, I think hell and purgatory are what we experience in this life, depending on how we choose to um, deal with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That uh, for some people, for some people, existence is hell. Yeah. For others, it's purgatory. You know, with a hope of um, salvation, but um, the eternal fire just doesn't uh, ring true to me. Yeah. I I think the fire is eternal. I think that it's mostly a place where God goes to warm off their socks after they've been playing in the snow for too long. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all so much for being a part of this episode. What I'm sure is the second part of a two-parter. Thank you all so much for being a part of this wonderful conversation and something that was as close to a debate as we have ever had on this show (laughs) between, I think, really good opposing interpretations of the story that I think should both be held as we do these things. And I hope, listener, that as you listened, you caught the fact that we are still in loving community with each other, even though we disagree with these about these things, and offer these different interpretations so that we can hold all of them in tension together. But thank you all so much for being a part of this conversation. Now, Past Micah, take it away. Thank you, Future Micah. And of course, you, our wonderful listener. Together, we have made a wonderful and growing community on Discord that I look forward to being a part of every day. Your generous support on Patreon has already greatly increased the quality of our podcast, including this very outro. As an extra little thank you, you can get episodes early along with a bunch of other cool perks. Please follow the link in the show notes to join our Discord, Patreon, and all of the other things mentioned throughout this episode. If you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me through the Discord or by email at thewordinblackandred at gmail.com. Now, Future Micah, say the profound shit. And now, friends, go and be righteously, beautifully queer. Not like those sodomites holding all their money, but share your joy, your love, and all the strange ways God made you with the world we are building together. Shalom. When the big one finds you, may the song remind you all the billionaires are in hell.